0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. Before we begin, we'll just set the scene for this verse. Levi has just been asked by Jesus to follow him. And uh, he was a tax collector, and he'll later be known as the disciple Matthew. So he's hosting a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of his former fellow tax collectors and others were eating with them. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were also present. So now starting with verse 33. They, being the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, said to him, Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will, open, will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For they say, the old is better. This is the word of our Lord.
0: Good morning, everybody. We are concluding our sermon series, Wish I Would Have Known, um, this morning. And it's really, really nice to spend our Labor Day weekend with you all. Are there any fans of the podcast Song Exploder here? Anybody? Okay, we got a couple. All right, all right. Uh, This podcast invites musicians to take some of their favorite songs, maybe some of their best-known songs, and break them apart because, like most art, this is coming from a story or experience that that, that they've encountered. And so this podcast has these musicians take the song and, and tell us where the song came from, how it was recorded, what's the story underneath it, and perhaps what do these weird words actually mean? Um, My favorite episode was Semisonic's uh, massive hit, Closing Time. Don't start singing it. We all want to just hold off on that. We all know this song not only because it's catchy and memorable, but it's been co-opted by establishments and gatherings as the farewell song for years, which is suitable because this song is about what? Being kicked out of a bar, right? Or so we think. Dan Watson, who's the lead singer and songwriter, he spent a lot of time in bars, as many musicians do, and he, at this particular bar, which was his favorite, he he and his friend would often close it down, and at the very end of the night, the bartender would often yell the same phrase over and over again, you know, each night, that they would do this, and he would say this, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, we know this, right? So he began to consider, like, oh, this, this, this awesome idea of, like, what happens, that encounter, that experience. The band, his bandmates started asking him, could you write a song to help us close our concerts? And so with that phrase in his mind, he began to think about, you know, writing a song with that theme. Meanwhile, in his personal life, he had something very, very different going on. He and his wife were expecting their first child, and he began to think about The similarities between being kicked out of a bar and being birthed, which are obvious, right? (laughs) And so he started thinking about the similarities about going in from the darkness of a bar into the bright lights of the city streets or being, you know, leaving the womb into the bright lights in a hospital room or being kicked out of a cozy familiarity and being tossed out into the world or the sad, desperate human desire to hook up when you get kicked out, right? It's all there. Right? So obvious. So obvious. But once you know this, the split context of this song, this different meaning, it takes on a different shape. For instance, this line right here. Closing time. This room, room won't be open until your brothers or your sisters come. It means something very different now if you have the context not of just of a bar, but also of that moment. But even for Dan, the song was about to take on a very different meaning. He had just finished writing the song, and they had got the instrumentation figured out, But then uh, an emergency took place and their daughter was born really, really prematurely and her life was in jeopardy. So he called a timeout in his life and moved into the hospital and he began to live there for weeks and weeks and weeks and turned into months. Finally, the doctor said, you can't just stay here, you have to keep living. And so he picked up where he left off with this song, recording this song. And if you were to actually listen to this song, um, it's repetitive. The piano actually sounds like a kid's lullaby But the voice and the guitars and the instrumentation is, like, really dark. So it has this weird juxtaposition. It's kind of heavy and sad. A whole year after the daughter was born, the doctors finally gave them, their their family, permission to take the hospital setup and take it to their home. The interesting thing is, without even knowing it, the day that they took their daughter home was actually the day in which the album was finally released, And so, like, these two moments were taking on at the same time. Actually, in the ambulance, as they were driving to their home, the driver turned around and said, I'm I'm actually not supposed to do this, but I apologize, but are you you Dan Watson from Semisonic? You know, like, totally inappropriate moment, right? Uh, And he said, yes, I am. He said, I just heard your new song. I really loved it. And he was like, what? He said, no, no, the song that I know who I want to take me home, you know, that song? And even for him, this song became incredibly linked to the moment right there in that amb- in that uh, ambulance on the way home. And he tells this story. And the interesting thing at the end of the podcast, then they play the song in its entirety. And it's impossible not to hear it differently. The song takes on a different meaning after it has been broken down and, and built back up. Now, this is uh, this process is something that we find not only in this podcast, but in our life. It's the process of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Or another way of saying it is that of construction, deconstruction, and reconstruction. Now, this process is not just for sneaky songs about birthing. This process is just a part of life. We find it in many different ways, including our life with God. So as we're concluding our series, Wish I Would Have Known?, I've been thinking about my own life, my own journey with Jesus, and I've been thinking about the experience that I have had in orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. I've been thinking about my own life experiences of seasons in my life where I deconstructed much of my faith and my journey. And if I'm to be honest, there's times where I feel like maybe I did it well, and there are times where I stalled out in deconstruction, and I did not do it well. Deconstruction has been somewhat of a hot-button uh, topic for some in the church for a little bit. Uh, some have demeaned it as a fad or a sign of spiritual immaturity. Others have, have said it's a sign that someone's never encountered the gospel. If, if you've ever been fully claimed by God, there's nothing to deconstruct from. For the vine, one of the reasons why I think this conversation is important for us to have is that this church is increasingly becoming a place where people are looking for a safe environment to deconstruct and maybe reorient a life with God. Many of you have called this church a refuge for you. You found your way here in response to some church hurt or abuse. Many of you are seeing if there is actually a church that is safe enough to bring your honest questions and your doubt. Some of you here are here because this is, as you have expressed, this is your last free exit before you depart from church and maybe even faith altogether. You're here because you are deconstructing a life with God or a life in church. And maybe if you're not in that season, maybe you're coming out of it or you're preparing for it. I just want to just say that I'm just so glad that you are here. And I hope this is a safe place and not only that, but a renewing place. This word deconstruction can mean different things in different contexts, it has a specific meaning in psychology and philosophy and literature. The way that I perceive it is deconstruction is the process by which we take what we've been provided, whether it be ethics, moral, spirituality, or beliefs, and we begin to question and dismantle, we begin to explore, we also have, uh, have some freedom to doubt whether or not it's, vi- it's viable and it's true. Oftentimes, college students go through this when they go off to college. They don't only bring their cool posters from home and their, you know, the Target run that they had with their parents at the last minute, uh, or, or their trunks with all their stuff. They also bring their beliefs, their convictions that they were given. They constructed a, a worldview with God, and oftentimes, college students, this is like a unique time where they can push pause and go, let me take this out of the trunk, and let me actually think, do... I believe this. I know I've been taught this. I know I've been shown how you can defend this, but is this actually mine? And they take their beliefs, and many times they're trying to figure out who am I and what do I believe? I was a chaplain at a freshman dorm, and I loved getting to know college students as their parents were moving them in, and then seeing them maybe two weeks later. They would go from an Aber and Crombie and Fitch uh, preppy to like a roper, in two weeks' time. I loved it. They're just trying to figure out who am I? Where do I fit in this world? This is, in many ways, this process of becoming uh, people, realizing what do I believe? Like, I've been constructing this worldview, but what is actually true and authentic to what I believe and how I see this world? I believe that this process of deconstruction, um, what is really, really important to remember is that It is the middle step in a process. It's not the end. It's not the goal. It's not like where we want to live and end up forever. But it's a really important step in the process of rebuilding something more beautiful, more true, and more loving. The process of deconstruction, I believe, is actually a healthy and necessary step in our life with Jesus. Our Bible is a document displaying a continual process of construction, deconstruction, and reconstruction. This whole account that we have that we call our holy scriptures, this is an account of God meeting us with our limitations and helping us reform and reimagine what it is to have a life with God. Who is actually God in this world and for us? And God continues to lead God's people to reconsider their own understandings, to reform their own understandings. If you were to read the Bible, God takes people's perception and expands and evolves it towards this arc of deeper forms of justice, truth, grace, mercy, and love. The view of God in scripture becomes increasingly less tribal, less violent, less distant. These are the this is an example of how God is trying to reformat our view of who God is and what does it mean to be image-bearers following God in this world. Even Jesus had the ministry of deconstruction. In many ways, Jesus came to break down the common constructs of religion and understanding. I believe when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus was saying that because he was inviting them to leave certain things behind. He was trying to reorient their understanding and their spiritual life upon him and not just the religious constructs that they were taught and that were held in tradition. Even if you were to look at the Sermon of Mount, you see this phrase over and over again where Jesus said, you have heard it said, and then oftentimes he would, he would say a commandment that was rooted in Old Testament law. And then he'd say, but I say unto you. That is the phrase of deconstructing. These statements, Jesus would actually take Old Testament law and would say, you have heard it, but I'm going to deconstruct it to, to show you there is something greater that I am doing in your midst. Jesus was deconstructing not only the practices, but also the commandments in the Old Testament. That would have been really, really disorienting. It was the ministry of deconstruction that tells uh, that tells the par- parable that we read today, as Louis shared earlier it's from this profound moment that we read this parable. Jesus uses the imagery of patches and wineskin to talk about something that was a part of jesus 's kingdom. This parable is sandwiched between two different moments as we shared earlier. It was a moment where Jesus had um, ex- he uh, has given table fellowship, radical inclusion for those people who were deemed outside uh, the religious norm, outside the inner circle of who God could be with. It was between that moment and then also a moment where Jesus is debunking their understanding of what does it mean to practice Sabbath. Between those two different uh, lessons, we have this parable where Jesus is talking about new wineskins, new patches. And so this parable is talking to us about Jesus's desire, his longing to create a new paradigm. We oftentimes grow accustomed to the ways in which God works, the ways in which God has moved in our past. We pull out that trunk of belief that we are given in our world, and we, are, we begin to realize that sometimes God doesn't exist in those trunks, yet we're tempted to cling to the systems of our past. But the problem is, Is that God will not be confined by human constructs. And if we are not careful, we will cling to the trunk and we will miss Jesus. We are tempted to worship the container and not that which it once contained. I believe the call to follow Jesus is a call to follow a deconstructing Savior. Not only is that the legacy we find in Scripture, not, that, not only is that the legacy we see in Jesus, but that's also the legacy that we have within church tradition. A saying that is often quoted around the Reformation is this dialogue that uh, was, um, it was encapsulated by the phrase, the Latin phrase, semper reformanda, which is, means always reforming. That phrase was popularized by Karl Barth in 1947, and some people says it, some people say it derives from St. Augustine, but it's this this reminder that the church has its calling to always reform always be reforming because the reality is that we as a church we have never arrived like we there is there is a god who comes to us incarnationally and invites us to follow him not only follow tradition but follow the work of jesus among us so therefore the church must continually reexamine itself in order to maintain purity of doctrine and practice. That is our calling. The phrase in its longer use, which I think is really important to see, is this. Reformed and always reforming according to the word of God. So we're not untethered to anything, but we actually have the word of God that we are called to, to have in conversation with as we are continually reforming what does it mean to be the church, what does it mean to bear our witness in this world, we, we are according to the Word of God. Now for Karl Barth, for Augustine, for the Reformers, that Word of God is not only Scripture, but the primary, the ultimate supreme Word of God is in Jesus, the, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. So we are looking at the life of Christ, the claims of Christ, as well as scripture, and we have this, called, this call to always reform, to continue to reform as we follow the word that is here among us. Now, we aren't called just to reimagine or reform for the sake of vain innovation or to keep things fashionable or to keep up with, cult, with cultural norms, but it's fidelity to Jesus, the God of new wineskins. That is our calling. As we look at church tradition, church history, and the world around us, it seems like there's two main reasons why it's good for us to deconstruct our faith. There's two different reasons why I think this is healthy and good. The first is when the world co opts the church. When the world has co-opted the church, it is good for us to deconstruct things. This began in the, in the 300s when the emperor, Constantine, adopted Christianity as the empire's religion. He actually had a dream where he was going into battle, which they were about to do. But he was surprised to find in his dream that the banners that they were carrying had the markings of a cross, which in the 300s, the Christian movement was small. It was seemingly insignificant. This small persecuted bunch, they they were seen as people in poverty who were generous, but they did not have worldly power. And so for Constantine to have this dream... He actually believed that God was saying to him, if you carry the banners with the cross on them, you will be be victorious. And in fact, he was. And after that, Constantine said, the official religion for my empire is now Christianity. And everything changed. The tentacles of the empire began to go around the Christian movement. And this oppressed minority became the people of power. And so, what happened? Well, what happened was, after seeing this take place, and after seeing the toxic nature of blending power in the Christian movement, then people decided, we got to get out of here. And they went into the desert, and they deconstructed their faith and their life practices away from the empire to preserve something pure and true. That's called the monastic movement. If you ever heard about the monastic movement or the desert fathers and mothers, that's that moment. And I don't know what the the church, what the Christian faith would be without that, without their ability to deconstruct the church away from the world and how the world wants to co-opt the church. That continues today. That continues today as the worldly structures try to co-opt the church, either in a voting block or in different narratives, to utilize what we have and try to co-opt it for worldly gain. And so we deconstruct our faith to remain uh, faithful and true to Jesus and not to the power structures of this world. That's the the first reason why deconstruction takes place. The second is that, kind of the opposite problem, when the church begins to mirror the world, it's the opposite problem. Instead of the world co-opting Christianity, here the church uses Christianity to co-opt the world, to acquire the world. The history of Christianity details our proclivity to take Jesus and his claims as a means to claiming and grasping for power, status, and self-centeredness in this world. We like use the vocabulary, we use the text as a means for us to to achieve or to to feel like we deserve in this world more than we have. And so deconstruction is the process where we untangle the church uh, from the image of this world. And we seek to to remove those claims of of people, how how they use and misuse Christianity for that purpose. So those are the two main reasons we find in church history why deconstruction takes place. But if I'm going to be honest, in my life and in yours, I don't think it's a theological issue or a spiritual calling that moves us into deconstruction. Most of us are shoved there, not by our own choosing, because a tragedy moved us there. We are exposed to views that rattle us. People in spiritual authority, they fail us. We begin in a season of deconstruction because someone we love challenges the religious systems that we hold, or we move into deconstruction because we grow tired of not being able to be intellectually honest with our faith. We can't suppress our questions anymore. So although those two other means are like church history, then there's the this, this shared life that we have. And that is the reason why I find most people deconstruct. And as I've shared, this deconstruction can be healthy, but friends, it is hard. It's messy. It's truly disorienting when the way in which we saw the world starts to crumble apart. It's hard work to let go of that which brought you such hope and peace with the hope that, the belief that maybe if I let go of this, this that space can actually be used to find something new. It feels so vulnerable to allow your worldview and religious packing to be taken out of the trunk and it feels like there's nothing but an empty space there. And friends, usually this comes at a cost. Sometimes when you deconstruct and you leave things behind, you lose community. People that... People uh, think that you've lost your way, and so you find yourself outside the tribe. You discover that that safe refuge that you once had doesn't welcome doubt or honest dialogue. And sadly, people who go through seasons of deconstruction, they often feel really, really alone. So let me just have just a gentle word for those who are in that season right now. It's a hard word, but deconstruction for me is a form of death. It's parting with a way of thinking and living. And sometimes it releases that which has brought you such life. And it's okay for you just to grieve that passing. It's okay for you to mourn it because it surely is a loss. You can even look at the stages of grief that people have when they enter into a season of mourning. You can look at these stages and you can look at this in the process of deconstructing your faith. When we've entered in the season, oftentimes we begin by denying it that it's happening. Then maybe we get angry, we judge those who we, have, our tribe that we came from, bargaining. We start making up an ability to stay there. We start negotiating, and then oftentimes people, when they go through deconstruction, they end up in depression and sadness. But if Jesus can lead us and shepherd us through this, we can also be led to acceptance or what we might say, reconstruction. This is hard, hard work. And to be honest, the reality is that not everyone makes it through the process. Some of us stall out temporarily, or we walk away from the faith altogether. I just want to say that Jesus doesn't want you just to deconstruct your faith with him. But Christ is also a reconstructing savior. If the Christian narrative is that of life and death in resurrection, so it can be with our faith life with Christ. This is hard, hard work. But Jesus wants you to experience life anew. I want to finish by sharing a couple ways that we can deconstruct well. If I could sit down with my 20-year-old self, I would. this is the part where I would sit down at a coffee shop in College Station called uh, uh, Sweet Eugene's, and we would sit there, And we would have this conversation of, like, Mark, if you're gonna do this, can I just give you a couple bits of advice about how to deconstruct well? And first, it would be this: deconstruct in community. Don't do this alone. You are not going to be, uh, you're not gonna flourish by doing this alone. You are going to need to rely on one another, especially those people who've walked uh, this journey ahead of you and with you. Don't do this alone. Secondly, deconstruct upon your knees. What I mean by this is, Make sure you maintain a spirit of, of, of humility as you go through this. Like deconstruct on your knees because do it with Jesus. You're not walking away from Christ. You're actually leaning into Jesus. So do it prayerfully, connecting to Christ. Three, reject, re- reject the trappings of cynicism. For Mark, this was a big thing. I wish I, I could go back and undo. But I grew cynical and sarcastic towards the church for a long time. Anyone else been there? Like, this is what Babylon B was created for. I don't know if you, <laughs> this is like just for sarcasm towards church and churchy things, right? It's very easy to become cynical and judgmental. Cynicism, though, is a way for us to armor up. It's a way for us to kind of stiff arm the world away from us. But the problem with armor is that it hardens us. Armor doesn't just block that which we don't want to come in. It rejects almost anything from coming in. And sadly, it also doesn't allow us to have anything come out as well. That which we need to give this world. Love, gentleness, and kindness, it blocks that as well. I don't want, as, as a community, I don't want us to baptize cynicism. I don't want us to baptize sarcasm as a posture to hold in this world because I think it does harden us. I want us to be intellectually honest and spiritually attentive, but I also want us to be a community that's gentle in heart. So let's avoid the trappings of cynicism. Uh, fourth, let's try to respect the church. And I put the word try because it's hard work. Uh, let's try to respect the church. Though the church has failed us many of us in many different ways, it's still the bride of Christ That's the imagery that Jesus spoke of the church. He called the church the bride of Christ. And I want to respect Christ's bride in this world. I love Dorothy Day's quote. This for me resonates in such profound ways. Dorothy Day, this wonderful pillar of faith, said, As to the church, where else shall we go except to the bride of Christ, one flesh with Christ? Though she is a harlot at times, she is our mother. Though the church has this ability to be unfaithful, it's still our mother. And it's wise for us to honor our mothers, for us to seek to remain tender and open and available to that which has birthed us. It is easy for us to deconstruct our faith and dismiss the church altogether. It's tempting to do that, to deconstruct and walk away. But Christ is looking for people to partner with him to reconstruct something better, to reconstruct something that's truer, more beautiful, and good for this world. Though some some dismiss deconstruction as a fad leading to faithlessness or worldly faith altogether, I actually think the process of deconstruction can transform us, can be used by God to make us more into the image of Jesus, which is the the work of the Spirit among us, to transform us more into the likeness of Christ. When I've seen people deconstruct well and they reform a life with God, these are the markers I've seen in their life, that they're people of deeper faith with intellectual honesty, That they actually have humility with their convictions because they remember when they held convictions more truly in the past. And so they hold their convictions with humility. They have an openness to nuance and faithful doubt. They're not afraid of people asking questions as if God is so small where your questions threaten God's existence. (laughs) There's a gentleness towards others on their own journey as they remember their own journey, their own process. And finally for me, what I've seen people who have reconstructed well, there is an attentiveness to the Spirit's leading here and now, the new wineskins that are provided for the new wine which God is working in our midst. So I just, I just wonder where you are in your life with God. I wonder where you've been in your own construction and deconstruction or reconstruction, how you have had orientation and disorientation come in your life. And I hope, and I probably, I just believe that you've experienced this, the gentleness of Jesus to be with you every step of the way. What I wish I would have known, what I hope that you know, is that God is big enough for your questions. God is big enough for your doubts. He's not threatened by them. I actually believe that deconstruction is not us leaving the faith, but it's a way for us to enter into deeper faith, for us to press in to a faith with Christ. And I pray that our church, the Vine, can be a safe place, a refuge, for people to follow the deconstructing and reconstructing Jesus, where we can be gentle and create hospitality for people in different places in their life. Because we're all on a journey together with the one who promises to make all things new.
1: We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.